Thank you, John. Good morning. Oh, that wasn't half bad. I think we're getting the hang of this. All right. Well, you probably made it through the line for those of you who didn't. Again, we have a, a number of handouts back there today, and I'm going to try to, uh, to walk you through as many of those as I can. A couple of announcements before we get started. Again, if you didn't get a chance to look at any of the items up here that we have available at the ACBC, please be sure to do that. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask. A couple of things that you have in your hands there that I wanted to uh, draw your attention to, and I'll reference them a little bit later in the uh, presentation today, are a couple of mission trips that It Is Written is uh, guiding and directing this year. Uh, one of them is to the Philippines, that's July 13 through 29, and the other one is to South Africa, October 5 through 21. If you've never been on a mission trip before, go on one. Uh, it will really change the way you see what's happening in the world and the spread of the gospel and, and how it's occurring and how fast it's occurring. Uh, we organize and coordinate all of these, so we will get you your translators. We will help you with uh, hotels and food and so forth over there. So you can see the costs that are associated with them. Pretty inexpensive when you consider where you're going and what you're going to be doing there. So we try to make it affordable. Uh, we will be there guiding what's going on and so forth. But again, the Philippines and South Africa, if you are interested or know somebody who would be interested in joining us on those, please do let us know. Yes? It's a softish deadline, a softish, de softish deadline. Uh, don't wait forever, but if you are interested, please contact us and let us know. We can probably still squeeze you in for that. For the, uh, the Philippines mission trip, uh, they have asked us, that is the Central Luzon Conference, has asked us to help them find 500 evangelists. So we've got about 50 here this morning. <laughs> so that's a, that's a start right there. But uh, again, we're, we're looking for a, a lot. The, uh, the Philippines is phenomenal when it comes to soul winning. I was over there. I think I shared with you uh, the other day that when I was there uh, some years ago, we did a campaign, and at the end thereof, we had 13,000 baptisms. So. Wow. Uh, that's, that's not because, well, just to clarify, I was in a supportive role there, so I'm not going to pump myself up as the speaker or anything like that. But really, it's not the speaker that makes the difference. It's all the preparation that goes on beforehand and the lay member involvement, and the preacher is, this, is just there to clinch everything. So it's a, a truly a team effort. But anyway, wanted to let you know about that. Uh, also, a couple of other things up here. I've made mention uh, the last couple of days of some different things that It Is Written has available, resources and so forth to help you share your faith. Uh, many people, when, when I ask them, you think of It Is Written, what do you think of? Most people say the TV program. You know, I've, you've seen, how many of you have seen the TV program? Okay, that's m most of us here. Uh, but It Is Written is actually a lot more than the TV program. Uh, as you know, we've got stuff on, online, we have training, we have mission trips, we have uh, resources as far as um, technological resources. Uh, if you're interested in more of the projects that we have going on, you can pick up our project catalog. I have them up here on the table. Just gives you a little bit more of an idea of what's going on, children's ministries and so forth. One thing I did want to show you this morning, though, and I think I have, hopefully I have, maybe I have the card in my wallet here. Well, I had it yesterday. There it is. I was sharing with you these uh, media sharing cards that you can share with people that allow them to watch the TV programs right there on their 
on their smartphone as, uh, as they're scanning them. But there's another type of card that we have, and we have two of them already. Uh, if I were to say the two letters VR, how many of you would have a clue what I'm talking about? VR. Okay. What, what is VR? What does VR stand for? It stands for virtual reality. We were trying to figure out how we could make the Bible more interesting, more engaging for young people. And we thought, what if we made the Bible a virtual reality adventure? Uh, now, virtual reality means that when you have whatever medium you happen to have, whether it's a smartphone or you've seen those goggles that people wear and so forth, it allows you to go into the scene with what's happening in the Bible. And so we took two stories from the Bible, David and Goliath, and also Daniel and the lion's den, we turned them into virtual reality adventures. So if you have a smartphone that has one of those uh, fancy schmancy QR code scanners on it, all you have to do is take your phone and scan, see if there we go, scan that little QR code there. And what it will do is take you to, let me turn my, volume up just a little bit here. Daniel, then come to my father's house. There you go. Sacrifice to the Lord. I was sending sheep and goats to my father's field, but I was summoned to give an answer to my father. There's a little cockeyed here. But But you can look around, you're in the scene. So you're seeing what David would be seeing as he goes out to fight Goliath. So you go with him onto the battlefield. He's out here ten, tending his sheep and checking them out and so forth. Same thing with uh, yes, thank you. All right. Anyway, the same thing with Daniel in the lion's den. You go into the lion's den with Daniel. So as you're looking around with your smartphone, you can see the lions creeping up on you in the darkness and so forth. So it, it's really kind of cool. At least I think it is. And young people sure do. But if you're interested in taking a look at that or trying it out for yourself, I only have, I think, the one card here today. I, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys as much paper as I can. I'm hoping that today you'll be satisfied with what you have in your possession. <laughs> you may, you may. Yes, you can order these online. I think a pack of 100 of them is $4.99 or something like that. So it's pretty cheap. So you've got some. Okay. We, we do have some packs over at the ACBC. Some of them, I think, have this. They're, they're like variety packs. So if you look at the back of one of the packs over there, if it has a blue card on it, that's the Daniel, Daniel and the Lion's Den one on it. You'll see it says something like Daniel VR on the back of it. That way you know you got the Daniel one. So kind of look at the back of it, and you'll have an idea. But this is the David and Goliath one. If you want to scan it here and check it out for yourself afterwards, you're more than welcome to do that. All right. Let's dive into today's presentation. Today we're going to talk about how we can get new members involved in the church. What can we do so that they, they get involved and they don't go sliding out the back door? Nothing will solidify a person's new faith more than being personally involved in the church's ministries and outreach projects. When you have members who are not involved, but they're just there passively, they're watching everything like it's a show or a program or a movie. They're not personally invested in it. But when they become invested in things, they care about them even more. So we want to find out 
how to get the right people connected with the right ministries in the church so that they will stick in the church and want to be an active part of it. To begin with, I want to share a a little story. It's called a hidden treasure. Uh, Many, many years ago, there was an old man who had four sons. And his four sons were very, very lazy. And he was concerned about how he could help them to prosper in life before he passed away. And so as he was in the final days of his life, he called his sons to him. And he said, "Uh, I'm concerned about you, you boys. I want you to be able to survive in life and to make something of yourselves uh, and, and to be productive in life. They were kind of hoping that chance or fate or luck would bless them with whatever they needed to get through life. And the father was pretty sure that wasn't going to happen. And so he called them to him and he said, listen, on our property here, there is a box, a chest, a hidden treasure. And that treasure is gold and silver and rubies and gems. And it is an amazing treasure. And it's here on the property. I just can't seem to remember where I've buried it. I buried it somewhere on the property. Can't remember, but it's, it's here somewhere. And I want you all to share that treasure equally among yourselves if you can find it. And so the, uh, the four young men were excited about this, but they were also a little bit frustrated because why? Didn't know where it was, but they'd have to work to try to find it. And so they uh, a couple days later, the father passed away, and the uh, young men said, well, we better get to looking for that treasure. And so they started digging up the property, and they dug it up, and they dug it up, and they dug it up, and took them weeks, and they still couldn't find this treasure. And then they noticed that there was one area of the property that kind of looked a little bit different than the other areas of the property. And they thought, maybe, maybe that's where Dad buried the treasure. Why don't we dig a little bit deeper there? And so they went to that area of the property, looked a little bit different, and they dug 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 a deep pit, a deep well, that eventually they found nothing in but water. And they were frustrated, and they said, nothing in here but water. So they said, forget it, uh, we give up. And so the water was just flowing freely from this pit that they had dug. And not long after that, somebody came by their property and looked around and saw the whole thing that was just dug up, and they saw this essentially a river, a stream flowing from where they had dug this pit. They looked around and said, you know what? This is decent soil, and you've got running water on your property. Have you boys ever thought of planting anything here? You know, like some seeds or anything like that? Because I'm sure something would grow here. And the boys said, well, no, we'd never really thought of that, but I guess why not? And so they planted some vegetables, and they planted some greens, and they just grew like nobody's business. They thought, well, we can't keep all this stuff. It's just going to rot. Maybe we should sell it. And so they started selling the stuff. And surprise, surprise, they made a bunch of money. And then the light went on in their heads. That treasure that their father had told them about was hard work. And when they put some hard work into that property, into that soil, they found the gold and the riches that their father had told them about. So is there treasure in the church, yes or no? Yes, there is. But the only way you're really going to find that treasure is if you get involved in the work. And so that's what we want to talk about today. 
how to get involved in the work. I'll share a story that happened in uh, Kansas City just a few months ago. We, uh, our, our ministry was involved in an evangelistic campaign. Uh, John Bradshaw was speaking there in Kansas City. We had, uh, I think, three different conferences and dozens of churches all involved in that. And uh, we did a, a mailing. I think I shared with you, in fact, I'm sure I shared with you the other day, the uh, mega mailer card that we send out to, uh, to churches or churches send out to their communities. Uh, we did one of those mailings there in the Kansas City area and got a bunch of cards back, people interested in studying the Bible. And so they were dividing them up among the church members there to go out and follow up. And a couple, we'll call them Gary and Jane, they'd never done this type of work before, but they thought, you know what, maybe we can try it out. We'll just get involved and, and see what happens. And so they followed up one of those cards, and they met a woman named Kathy. And when they stopped by Kathy's place and invited her to study the Bible, Kathy said, I'd, I'd love to. This is fantastic. I've always wanted to study the Bible, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. And then Kathy said, but I was wondering, would you mind if instead of just me studying the Bible with you, would it be all right if my family joined the Bible study too? Wow. All right. And so, of course, uh, Gary and Jane, they said, well, sure, that would be fine. We wouldn't mind that. And so they came back the next week, and Kathy had brought her family together, and they studied the Bible. Now, typically when you do an in-home Bible study, it's encouraged to last about an hour and no more. Uh, there was a particular interest in this family in what was being studied, and so it took two hours to do the study. They came back the next week, and the, the family had grown, and there were more people who were studying now with them, and that went on for a number of weeks. And then, not surprisingly, there was an evangelistic series that was planned not long after those Bible studies began. And what do you think Gary and Jane did with Kathy and her family? They invited them to the evangelistic series. And as Kathy and her family came to the evangelistic series, they made decisions to follow Jesus, and the entire family was baptized. So when, what, what do you think that did to Gary and Jane's courage when it came to being involved in church activities? When they saw an entire family had been baptized as a result of their willingness to just follow up on a card, well, it's tough to tie them down now. They're, they're excited about what's going on, and rightly so. So here are some simple steps to get new members engaged in ministry. Step number one is to set up a ministry team. Set up a ministry team. Well, what is a ministry team? A ministry team is a group in the church that's been appointed and empowered by the church board to facilitate every member's involvement in some form of ministry in the church. Now, why is this done? There are three primary purposes to this ministry team. How does it function? Here they are. First of all is awareness. The ministry team needs to be aware of new people or the members that are coming in. If new people come in, the ministry team says, okay, here are some new people. Where can they fit into the church? The second thing they have to be aware of is the needs of the church. Because if you don't know where there are needs, you can't figure out where to put the new people. So keep an eye on what's happening in the church where the needs are, and the new people who are coming in. Second is to connect them. They want to connect the new members with the places in the church that have needs. And third is support. As they need help in these new positions, continue to support them so that they can grow and prosper and the church can benefit as well. So who should be a part of the ministry team? The ministry team, typically, you don't want to have more than a handful of people. 
maybe about five people. The pastor should be a part of the ministry team, maybe a couple of elders a part of the ministry team, and then perhaps a couple of other, me other members in the church who are actively involved in ministry, who care, if you will. So when you if you get it too big, it just becomes unwieldy and cumbersome. But if it's about five people, it stays fairly nimble, and they can, keep, they can work. Uh, why or when do they work? How often does the, um, does the nominating committee meet in an average church? About how often? I'm sorry, when does it function? When does it do its big work? About every two years. In most churches, the nominating committee gets together and you know, nominates new people for new positions about every two years. Are there any changes that take place in church membership and stuff like that over the course of two years? Yeah, people move in, people move away, uh, ministries change and so forth. So what this ministry team does is it fills the gap between those two-year intervals when the nominating committee meets. So again, it's staying very much connected with the needs of the church, and it's staying connected uh, integrally with the new members who are coming in so they can find a place for them to be. So how does the ministry team function in relationship to the nominating committee? We just kind of went through that. Step number two, when the ministry team comes to visit for the first time, what are they doing? They're going to go visit the new member. Now, you don't need to take the entire ministry team to visit the new member, but take one or two members of the ministry team to visit the new member shortly after they've come in. What is shortly? Within the first couple of weeks. So you're, you can expect that this new member is going to be visited by at least how many people during the first couple of weeks? Well, who would be some of the people? The, their spiritual friend would be one of them, right? The pastor hopefully will visit them. That would be wise. An elder, perhaps. You've got somebody from the ministry team. So if you have several people visiting these new members during the course of the first couple of weeks of their membership, are they, are they feeling like they've been left behind? Are they feeling like they're unimportant? No, there's, there's an interest in them. Now, again, you don't want to swamp them like they're going, oh, no, not another person from the church coming by. But that's typically not the problem that we have in our churches, is it? You know, often people get baptized, and then we focus our attention on somebody else who needs to be baptized. So, again, keep in mind common sense. We talked about that yesterday. But you want to visit them within the first couple of weeks. The purpose of the first visit is, is pretty straightforward, to welcome the new person and to get to know them. Now, when you, want, when you try to get to know somebody, do you get to know them best by talking or by listening? by listening. So you go by and you visit. You can go through some conversation starters. What were some conversation starters that we looked at yesterday? Do you remember the acronyms? Family, occupation, religion, and testimony. That was FORT. And then what was the other one? Do you remember? It was topics, right? So if you missed those handouts, we have handouts from the previous days up here on the, uh, on the front table. You're welcome to help yourself to those afterwards. So that's just sort of opening conversations, getting to know these new people so that the ministry team, once they have an idea of who these people are and their backgrounds and interests and so forth, they can start to figure out where can we fit them into the church's life. Step number three, the ministry team's second visit with the new member. So the same two members who visited the person the first time go back again the second time. Now, the visit, this visit has three aims. First of all, 
They want to describe the vision and the mission of the church. Here's what our Seventh Day, our local Seventh Day Adventist church is all about. Here's why we're in the community. Here's why we do what we do. Here's why we breathe what we breathe. This is what the mission and ministry or mission and vision of the church happens to be. Second, you want to invite that person to become involved in that vision and that mission. So here's the vision. Here's the mission. We would like you to be a part of what's going on in the church. Number three, to explain the importance of connecting people to the right ministry according to their passion and their spiritual gifts. Well, what, is, what are passion and spiritual gifts? Passion is a God-given desire to make a difference. Different people are passionate about different things. Some people are passionate about door-to-door -door work. They love it. Other people are passionate about not doing door-to-door -door work. They, they pray heartily for those who are passionate about it from a distance, right? So different people are passionate about different things. Are some people passionate about health ministry? Yes. What are some other passions that people may have? with Children's ministry, right? It, it's great to have somebody who's passionate about children's ministry. Because you know what's tough to find people who are willing to volunteer for at church, right? Is children, children's Sabbath school and pathfinder leaders and, and adventure leaders and stuff like that. That's tough in some churches. If you, can, if you can find somebody who is all about kids, praise the Lord, right? So that's what these visits are, are helpful for. Find out what people are passionate about. What are some other things that people are passionate about? Religious liberty. There you go. Some people are passionate about it, and rightly so. Get them involved in that. What are some other things? Women's ministry. Very good. Maintenance. If you get somebody who's passionate about that, good. Another one back here? Preaching. Yes, good. Preaching and teaching. So all these things, you'll find out as you talk with people that they have a passion for. For some things, they may just be ambivalent about it. That's okay. I mean, I'm not going to say for me because then you all think poorly about me or something like that. But you know, may, maybe I'm not all that passionate about, uh, treading carefully here, um, singles ministry. I don't know. Don't, don't railroad me into singles ministry just because there's an opening there, but I don't care about it. So we want to try to find things that people care about. I care about singles ministry. Right? But don't just fit people. Don't put a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't work. So find out what the people are passionate about. Also find out what their spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts are God-given and divinely empowered abilities to glorify God by building up his church. Now you should have received a handout that is sort of like a spiritual gifts assessment in what you picked up. Could I borrow one of those from somebody who is nearby? Yeah, this is your, uh, not the secret church shopper survey. That's a little bit different one. There should be one that's like a spiritual gifts. Tell me that you got it. It's attached to the one that you're looking at. All right. I'm not sure. Last three pages. All right. Okay, very good. Yep. Okay, not the last three pages. It starts a little bit earlier, but about three pages in. There we go. There we go. It says spiritual gifts questionnaire at the top of it. Do we all have that? All right, very good. So this spiritual gifts questionnaire you're going to give to people um, on the third visit, we're going to talk about it here in just a second. So who, who has spiritual gifts? Uh, God's, God gifts each person who commits his or her life to Jesus Christ with at least one spiritual gift. They will likely have more, 
but at least one. 1 Corinthians 14, 7 to 12 says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. What does the word edify mean? It means to build up or to strengthen. <clears throat> so how many spiritual gifts do I have? Every believer, as I mentioned, has been given at least one spiritual gift, and many people have more than one. So what do you then do with your gift? God gives his people with the, ex God gifts, God gives gifts to his people with the expectation that they will use them to equip and encourage other people to grow spiritually. So when you go through that spiritual gifts questionnaire, the directions are pretty straightforward. Uh, as you look at the questions that come on the next few pages, the instructions are pretty simple. Uh, if you find that the, uh, that statement is highly characteristic of you or definitely true for you, you circle a five or write a five in there. Circle a five. If most of the time this would describe you or be true for you, you do a four. If it frequently is characteristic of you or true for you, about 50% of the time, you do a three. If it's occasionally characteristic of you or true for you, about 25% of the time, that's a two. Or not at all characteristic of you or definitely untrue for you, then you do a one. And so as you go through them, you fill all those out, or the person, the new person will do it. In fact, I'd encourage you to do it because you may learn a little something about yourself as you go through this and find that there's some areas that, uh, that you may be able to help in. Yes? Very good. I like that. So not just the person fill it out, but other people who are close to you fill it out too so that you can see even some, some different elements of that. So anyway, you can see the, uh, see the quiz on the next few pages there. And then you're going to score it, and the instructions for scoring it are on there as well. And as you score them, you'll find on the back page, well, I, I wish they were numbered, but uh, it says spiritual gift evaluation sheet about three or four more pages in. On the left-hand side, it says row A, row B, row C, and so forth. This kind of lets you know which gifts those particular questions indicate you happen to have. You can see there's administration, discernment, evangelist, exhortation, faith, giving, and so forth. There's uh, probably 20 different uh, gifts on there. And there's a description of the gifts on the following pages. So once you score it, then you can let the person know what their, according to this particular um, evaluation, what their spiritual gifts are. Now, does that mean that they can only be involved in some area of the church where they have filled out and been qualified for a spiritual gift? No, of course not. They may be passionate about something else. You can see some of the, uh, the, the different areas of the church, the volunteer areas of the church that connect with those different spiritual gifts. Thank you very much. Uh, there was a hand here and then a hand over here. Yep, just a good Bible student. As you're studying the Bible, you go, oh, wow, I hadn't seen that before. Yep. So this is not changing the landscape of Christianity as a whole. But, uh, but for yourself, when you're studying and just going, ah, having one of those epiphanies, those aha moments, right? Very good. So anyway, that's the, uh, that's the spiritual gifts assessment. I'm going to kind of touch again on that here in a moment. So step number four, the ministry team reviews the completed questionnaire. So they fill it out. You come back again the next time. You pick it up. You go through and you score it. 
So they're not scoring it themselves. They're just filling out the quiz, the questionnaire. They return it to you. You calculate the score, and then you find the areas where they have that particular spiritual gift. Now, again, don't take this assessment as the be-all and end-all definitive explanation of what they are good at or where there is hope in their life. Right? So this is just a guideline, something to kind of move and, and, uh, and nuance them into a particular area. Uh, and again, if, if you look at it, if they look at it and says, I've got a gift in evangelism, at least the, the test says that I've got a gift in evangelism, I, I really don't feel at all like some, somehow I answered a question wrong. Fine. It's, it's just to kind of give us an idea. And it gives us an idea of where we can go. There was another question over here. I thought I saw a hand. Yes. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm kind of moving quickly through here, but it's in the written instructions. It'll tell you how to score it for each five, four, three, two, one, and then you calculate them by columns and so forth. It's not that hard, but for the sake of brevity, I'm kind of moving through it. But the, the, the ex instructions, there we go. The instructions are written out in the forms that you do have. If you look through it and you have a question, let me know. Yes. Yes, spiritual gifts can indeed change over time. Yes, they can. Uh, the, first time, the first time I took a spiritual gifts assessment, I scored lowest in evangelism, which I find amusing. But I scored very high in teaching and missionary. But teaching and missionary, when you wrap them together, is kind of like an evangelist. So anyway, I've been doing something for the last 18 years that I'm clearly unqualified for. So I'm hoping at some point I'll get better. All right. A few final observations here. Uh, number one, the church needs to have an all-hands-on-deck mentality. We... What happens in many churches as they grow is it gets easier and easier to kind of get lost in the shuffle. You can just sort of slide into church and slide out after the Sabbath morning service and you really don't, nobody notices and you just sort of slip through the cracks. But when each person is involved in some area of ministry, then you start to see things happening in the church. Now, again, not everybody is going to be called to knock on doors and give personal Bible studies. I recognize that. Should we all be able to? It would not be a bad thing if we could have some confidence in sharing our faith. Incidentally, if you have never given a Bible study and you're scared to death about giving a Bible study because what if somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to or something like that, I could suggest a place that you could go to get some training that will lay your fears to rest. Um, I don't know why I'm holding this little card. I just like to hold it from time to time, right? But SALT 365 will, will give you a lot of that training. It'll, it'll teach you how to answer the tough questions. And if you don't know the answer to a question, it will teach you what to say so that you don't feel like you have to know the answer to every question. Who knows the answer to every question in the Bible? 
God's about the only one that I'm aware of, right? And I fall far short of that. But somebody early on in my ministry taught me how to respond to someone when they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. And when they taught me that, I went, hallelujah, I don't have to worry about this anymore. But I'm not going to tell you what that is today. I'm just going to encourage you to go here, and you're going to find it out for yourself. But it, it revolutionized my approach to giving Bible studies where you can go in with no fear whatsoever. And you don't have to worry that you're going to look like you don't know what you're talking about either. So some simple, simple things. So the church needs to have an all-hands-on-deck mentality. There should be something that everybody can do. Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe it's prayer. Now, I'm, I'm a big advocate of prayer. I believe in prayer. Amen. That being said, some people will use prayer as a cop-out to not doing anything. They'll say, you know, we need somebody to help with this. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for that. I'll pray. If you're going to pray, amen, hallelujah. But if you're just saying, I'll pray for that in order to brush it off, I'll pray for you, right? So, yes, absolutely, prayer is important. And yes, that is what some people, everybody should be praying, but some people specifically have a passion for prayer and absolutely should be doing it. Uh, but just be careful that you don't kind of use that as your, as your whole. There was a hand over here I thought I saw. Okay. Uh, let me see. I don't think I hit number two. Don't put anyone in a place of leadership before they are ready. This is important. There, don't bring somebody in new and make them the head elder. Okay? Or something like that. Ease people into things. What would be some good positions that you could bring someone new into that wouldn't have a super high level of responsibility or something like that? What would be some ideas? Library, greeter, usher, yep. Fellowship lunch team. Now these again are all important, are they not? Yes, absolutely. So, but they're not of that responsibility level that would be inappropriate to give to a new person. What would be some other areas? Yes. Yes, there, there are exceptions to the rule, most certainly. But I, I would definitely get them into the music committee early on. You know, make them a part of it, no question. Yep. Deacon, could be a deacon. Yep. Help take up the offering. You know, that was, that was the first. <laughs> You all still like stories? What kind? Oh, you like the true stories. Good. When I was first baptized, well, the only time I was really baptized, at least by immersion, um, when I was baptized, I became a member of the church, and I very quickly got into my comfort zone, where you come to church on Sabbath, typically not early enough for Sabbath school because only really churchy people come to Sabbath school, right? And I, I wasn't thriving. But one day my wife asked me, she said, why don't you become a little more involved in church? I said, well, what do you mean? She says, well, why don't you volunteer in some capacity? I said, well, like what? And she said, well, you could be a deacon. I said, well, what, is, what does a deacon do? And she said, well, they help collect the offering. And I thought, 
I can do that. That's not hard. And so I went to the head deacon and I said, hey, could you guys use a little help in collecting the offering? And he said, yeah. I said, great. So I started helping. Now, my church, bless their hearts, <laughs> my church, bless their hearts, the deacons had some issues. Typically, when you have a church, you have the pews or rows of chairs lined up. And you have a deacon when they're collecting the offering. It starts on one end and another one who's on the other end. And if they often have two offering plates or buckets or bags or whatever your implement is that you use for collecting the offering, they'll start, the de one deacon will start it on this side and pass it down. And the other deacon will move back one row and will pass the plate down the following row. Our deacons never quite got that concept. And so they would start two offering plates on opposite ends of the same row. Every row, every Sabbath, every time. And so when those offering plates would get to the middle of the row, you've got the people in the middle of the row who are looking at each other, one with one offering plate, one with the other, and they're like, do we trade offering plates? Or do we just send it back down? And every row, every Sabbath, every time. And I'm just going, Lord, please help them. And they never, ever quite got the concept. But anyway, I helped for a little while. And, uh, and I ended up becoming, I think the next time nominating committee came around, or however it happened, I was the assistant head deacon. And then I was one of the Sabbath school teachers and the personal ministries director and the church treasurer and uh, collegiate director and I don't know, six or seven hats that I ended up wearing, which was too much. But that helping as a deacon was the first thing that got me involved in church other than just showing up on a Sabbath. And so I want to encourage you, find places. Deacons is a great place. Train them how to pass the plate. But it's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. So don't put anyone in a place of leadership before they are ready. Number three, make sure that ministry leaders are briefed, trained, and mentored. Number four, in addition to plugging our new church members into the different ministries of the church, they also need to be trained in what else? In evangelism. They need to know how to share their faith. Just because you happen to be part of the fellowship meal or potluck committee doesn't mean that you don't know, need to know how to share your faith. Because when you're visiting with people in the fellowship meal at potluck, you need to know how to start a conversation with them. You need to know what to say and what not to say. When somebody asks you a question, you need to know whether you should answer that question right then or whether you should defer it to a little later time if they're not quite ready for it. So regardless of what ministry you happen to be in, you know, children's division or something like that, do you need to know something about soul winning if you're in the children's division? Yes, you do. So it doesn't matter where you are you do need to know something about how to share your faith, about how to win a soul. So that should be integral in the training for everybody, regardless of where they happen to be actively volunteering. Number five, ways to train new members. Uh, the pastors or the elders should train new members in evangelism. Uh, B, you can shadow a church member who's also involved in evangelism. Uh, C, you can attend uh, fall or, <laughs> I love this, SALT, 
Soul Winning and Leadership Training. Uh, it's the, it's, it is written as Evangelism Training School that operates in conjunction with, uh, with Southern Adventist University. There's a four-month flagship program, if you will, that runs during the fall semester there on the campus of Southern in Collegedale, Tennessee. Some people don't have enough time, money, ability to leave where they are to come for four months. And so we decided we need to have a shorter version of SALT that kind of hits the high points of SALT, but takes place when people could come, when most people could come, which is typically in the summer. <clears throat> now, if you were a creative type and you were trying to think of a name to call a program that took place in the summer that was called SALT, naturally you would call the program Somersault. Of course you would. And so there is a somersault program that we encourage people to come to. It is inexpensive. There's one that's happening this summer. Uh, come and be a part of it. It's really phenomenal. It's, like I said, it's inexpensive. I think it's like $100 or something like that for five or six days of training that is not like an hour and 15 minutes in the morning. It's, it's a whole day training. And uh, I know there's at least one SALT grad hiding in here, um, but yeah, not so hiding back there. <laughs> Where is it, at? it is on the campus of Southern Adventist University in Collegedale, Tennessee, near Chattanooga. So if you're familiar with where Chattanooga is, southern part of Tennessee, that's where it takes place. But some people can't make it out to either SALT or Somersault. And so we also have SALT 365. That's that little green card that I keep holding up uh, time and time again that I hope you will visit if you have not already. Another option for you is if you would like this kind of training done in your church, we are available to come personally to your church to train your church in personal evangelism, how to give Bible studies, in public evangelism, and also in member retention like you're receiving right here. So if that's something that you're interested in, talk to your pastor, talk to your elders, uh, get a number of churches in the area together and say, hey, we would like to have, it is written, we'd like to have salt come, contact me. And I'll take a look at my schedule. I spend a lot of weekends on the road going from one church to another, training the members uh, how to go out and reach their community. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll do one of those mega mailer mailings before I come to town so that by the time I get there, many of those cards have come back into the church and they're ready to follow up those people who've said, hey, I want to study the Bible. That's great when now you've got 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 church members who are going out into the community following up all these cards and starting Bible studies. So again, if that's something that you're interested in, uh, just talk with your church administration and then get in touch with us. And number six, about 20% of the members do about 80% of the work. And 80% of the members complain about it. That's <laughs> what they do. Um, another quick thing, and I made mention, to, men, made mention of this a little bit earlier, is if you want new members to be really excited about being a part of the church and seeing what God is doing, help them go on a mission trip. Going on a mission trip will change their life. I know it's changed mine. I've, I've gone on one after the other. I try not to miss an opportunity where I have a, a mission trip that I can go on because it just, it just inspires you. And again, if you've not been on one, there are two of them coming up this year that you could go on with It Is Written one of them to South Africa, the other one to the Philippines. And if you don't have one of those, uh, John there has them for you, and he will make sure that it gets into your hands. All right, questions on what we covered 
in this section. Yes, go right ahead. Yes, many people who attend but are not yet members, there are still some areas that they can serve in. Now, there would be some areas that would be inappropriate for them to serve in, but there are certainly some that they could serve in. Uh, so we want to try to appropriately get as many people involved as we can, because some people, if they haven't yet come over and we get them involved and they get to sort of see what it's all about from the inside, that's enough to help them make that decision. But again, it has to be done prayerfully and carefully. You, you don't want to, I, I think we all know what I'm talking about. Yes? The weekend training, it's flexible, but on the, on the longish end, what I'll often do is I'll fly in on a Friday, speak on Friday evening, then maybe speak during Sabbath school, the worship service, have a fellowship lunch afterwards. Not potluck, but fellowship lunch. <laughs> fellowship lunch afterwards, and then a short training on how to follow up the leads. Many times then we'll take those cards that have come into their church and go follow them up for about an hour, hour and a half. Or we can go cold knocking. Sometimes we go cold knocking and you find new people that way too. Works either way. And then in the evening have another short kind of a debrief. Let's talk about what, uh, what happened while we were out there today. Share some stories because there's always great stories for people to share. Um, then in the evening have a little vespers sort of a thing. Then possibly Sunday morning do something again for a couple of hours before I have to catch a flight back. So that's on the long end of things. Sometimes churches say, yeah, nobody's going to come out on Friday night or Sunday morning, so let's just do, let's cram as much into Sabbath as we can and do it that way. So it's flexible. Yes? I will take a look at it and, and see. If there is one missing, I will get it for you tomorrow. I'll check on it. Thank you. All right, any others? All right, very good. We've still got about a half an hour here, and I want to talk about the small things. <clears throat> the small things. So let's review what we've covered so far. So far in our week together, we realize that there is a sad reality, and that is that people are leaving the church. Do we have this handout? Yes? Some of you are finding something that looks like this. Sad reality is that people are leaving the church. When a new person joins the church, everyone faces change. The new person faces change. Do the members face some changes as well? Yes. In fact, I've, <laughs> oh, bless their hearts. I've, I've gone to, I've had plans to work in a church. And the pastor, brilliant pastor, the pastor decided about six months before I was going to come and do a reaping campaign, he decided to do a small miniature campaign just to kind of test the waters with his church to see how they would respond if we were going to spend a lot of time and effort and money on a large campaign. <clears throat> so he did a small campaign in the church, and there was some fruit. They had about seven or eight people who got baptized as a result of the campaign that he did. <clears throat> However... The, new, the members of his church would not welcome the new members in. They turned their backs on them. They talked about them. They ignored them. They, they, the new people would upset the nice balance that existed in the church. 
And so the pastor called me and he said, listen, I'm not going to bring you to this church, but I have another church in my district. And I know that you'd have a good meeting there. So we went, we went to another church and that church flourished and we had a great series. The other church eventually dwindled and disappeared. So, but if we don't have, if we don't love people because of the fact that they're alive, then what's the point, right? So there are churches out there that, that are afraid of bringing anybody new in because it's going to mess up the equilibrium. It's going to rock the boat that they have. It might, it might tweak the power structure in the church and things like that. So, so I see a lot of you nodding out there like you know what I'm talking about. Yep. So uh, anyway, bear that in mind. Sad reality is people leave the church. When a new person joins the church, everyone faces change. The best way to close the back door is to close it before anyone new comes. That's when we talked about the cycle of evangelism a couple of days ago. Doing all this preparatory work before you actually have a campaign and people are coming in. So get everything set and, and build relationships before that time so that they don't go out the back door. We talked about the importance of spiritual friends, how to intentionally connect good, solid members with the new members, the importance of relationships, of affirming truth, and of getting them involved. We want to talk today, though, about some of the small things. It's not always the big things that you do that make a difference. Many times it's just the small things. Vincent van Gogh once said, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Mother Teresa said, be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. So focus on the small things and you're going to go a long way. So in big changes, we focus on the worship program, an evangelism event, painting the church, getting new carpet, new projector, new sound system, getting the most dynamic pastor. Now, can these things be important? Yes, of course they can. Uh, in fact, I've one of the best things, ah, how do I say this gently, carefully, kindly? I've, I've appreciated many of the pastors that I worked with, and some of them I've appreciated especially because when I come to the church, I'm a set of new eyes coming into that church. I'm going to see things in that church that members who've been going there for 20, 30, 40 years are completely blind to. Right? And so if I come to visit a church and I preach, the, sometimes the pastor will pull me aside and he'll say, tell me, what did you see? What did you notice that, that could be changed that would benefit us and help bring new people in? Sometimes I've, I've been to churches where I'm quite certain that the carpet was installed in the 1960s or 70s because it's kind of shaggy and orange and sun bleached, depending on which angle of the pew you're looking at and things like that. I've been into some churches where you go down, downstairs into the Sabbath school rooms, into the basement, and you walk down there and you go, ooh, my goodness. There's the, the mold, the mildew smell. Now, do the members recognize that? No, they don't smell it. They, that's just the way the church is, right? That's the way the church smells, right? Yeah, you get used to it. So when, when you have a new set of eyes that comes in, or a new set of nostrils, as the case may be, you'll notice things that others who've been going there for a long, long time 
don't notice. You have one of your handouts there called a, a secret church shopper. It's a, it's a list. <clears throat> Engage members of another Adventist church in the area that won't know the members of your church and ask them if they wouldn't be willing to come and visit one Sabbath. Not tell anybody who they are, just come in as a stranger, somebody from off the street, and experience what it's like to be there on the Sabbath. And then fill out that questionnaire and give it back to you. That's sneaky. Sure is, right? But it will provide you with some insight. Because I've, I've worked in churches. I remember a church out in California that's sufficiently broad to, to not narrow it down. I remember going to a church in, in California where the pastor would, would say every Sabbath when he got up to make his announcements and so forth, he's, he'd say, you are in the friendliest church on this side of the blank river that I'm not going to name. <laughs> I'm thinking, I've been in a lot of churches on this side of the river, and you all ain't the friendliest. I'll tell you that much. A lot of times what churches mean when they say we're the friendliest church here or there, whatever, that means they're very friendly with the other members in the church. Okay? But not so much with somebody who comes in off the street. So... It, it's helpful to have somebody, a fresh set of eyes, come in and see what the church is really like. Yes, question in the back. Yes. Yes. Very good, very good. Gre greeters can, can do overkill. You want to give people, don't get into people's personal bubble, right? Give them their space. Some people are a little more uh, chit-chatty. They're a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Sanguine, kind of bubbly. They talk with everybody. They don't know. A, they don't, extroverts, right? Other people are a little, they're kind of, you know, more, more laid back, more normal. I don't know. <laughs> something. And so you need to give them a little bit of room. Give them a little room, a cushion, yes. Yeah, I'm the bubbly one. You're the, she, <laughs> she's like, I'm the bubbly one. Yeah. Yes, very, very good. Be careful. Greet people, make them feel warm and welcome, but don't overdo it. If they need a little bit of room, give them a little bit of room. Very good. All right. Desire of Ages, page 143, says there are many who need the ministration of loving Christian hearts. Amen to that. So let's look at some of the small things here. Warm greetings. Greet people the first, greet first-time visitors with a smile and interest. Continue to greet regulars, and that assures them that they belong. Take time to greet them and ask them how they are. Now, when you ask them how they are, make sure that you really mean that. You know, because it can be just things, we just rolls off our tongue and we don't even think about it. Show a genuine, honest interest in the person and they will realize that. We did meetings in Kentucky a few years ago. We had a, uh, a greeter whose name was um, Mariette. And Mariette, was one, she was one of these bubbly, sanguine, happy people. I don't get them, but that's okay. She was one of these people. 
And she greeted everybody who came in with a smile, warm, happy, friendly. She'd learn their names and so forth. And about the fourth or fifth night of the meetings, she got sick. And she couldn't come to the meetings that night. You tell me, about every third or fourth person who came in asked what question? Where is she? How is she? Was she connecting with them? Yes, she was. That's what we want to do with guests who come. We want them to know that we care. We want them to know that we are interested in them. And if we do that, they will realize it. Continue to greet regulars. That assures them that they belong. Take time to greet them. Ask them how they are. And while greeting, make them feel that they matter. Prayer also matters. As you are developing friendships with new people, share that you have been praying for them. We talked about that yesterday. Pray with each other. We talked about that as well. Prayer for a person is a huge part of their walk with God. For Sabbath school classes, Sabbath school classes are one of the most powerful areas of growth for new members. They're going to get something out of the service. They should get something out of the service. But Sabbath school is a time when there should be interaction, when there should be growth, when there should be discussion, when there should be honest questions asked in an atmosphere where they feel comfortable asking those honest questions. Now, we talked, I think it was yesterday, yesterday or the day before, about establishing a pastor's Sabbath school class. And that pastor's, pastor's Sabbath school class, what were some of the qualities of that class? What sort of made it different from other classes? What was one of the big things that made it different from other classes? It, it was invitation only. It's not open to everybody. Only certain people, hand-picked people, are allowed in that class. Safe people that we want the new members connecting with. But that's mean. No, it's not. It's very kind and loving. If you've ever been in a class, a Sabbath school class, where some stuff got shot back and forth between people that was anything but Christian, that's not the class you want your new people in. So insulate them. Give them a place where they can ask a question that some saint, bless their heart, would roll their eyes and go, <sighs> don't put them in an environment like that. Put them in a nice insulated area for at least 13 weeks, maybe six months, might be even better, and give them an opportunity to grow with these safe people. So design a class that is safe, that is critical. Facilitate a safe class where new believers can ask questions and voice opinions. Have practical discussions. They're going to want, they're going to have some honest questions, some serious questions, and they need to have an environment where they can ask those and know that they will be helped in the right direction in an encouraging way and not spoken down to. Councils on Sabbath School Work, page 152. The old, old story of the love of Jesus repeated by the teachers and the superintendent with the love of Jesus in the heart will have a power that will convict and convert souls. If the love and tenderness of Jesus has touched your heart, you will be able to work for your scholars. The simplicity of the gospel must be kept in view. With help from above, we can do faithful work for the master. The fact should be kept continually before the scholars that without heart work, all our efforts will be in vain. Affection and love should be seen in every movement of the teachers and managers of the school. Cold formality should be replaced by earnest zeal and energy. The love of Jesus should pervade the whole school that the pupils will learn to regard this as the highest education. Sternness or fault finding should find no place in Sabbath school or day school. This should be put far from the hearts of the teachers and of all who, who act a leading part in the school. I'll, I'll give you an example about how 
I, why I personally feel that Sabbath school classes should be very safe environments. And this is kind of a personal one uh, for me. I, I've shared with you early on that I wasn't raised in the Adventist church. I came in, the first time I heard about Adventists was after I got to college. Didn't even know y'all existed until then. I came in, at present, I'm the only member of my family who's a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I'm in. Um, so far. But uh, from time to time, when my parents or my brothers visit, I'll invite them to come to church. And sometimes they do. Uh, my brother came one time, and we sat in on a Sabbath school uh, class. Uh, we were kind of both visiting a church together. Uh, it wasn't my home church. But we were sitting in on a Sabbath school class, and that particular Sabbath school quarter was on creation and origins and stuff like that. And it also involved dinosaurs. That was kind of that, that week's topic talked about dinosaurs. And during the course of the Sabbath school class, one of the members of the class made a statement. And they said, well, I believe that dinosaurs are the creation of the devil. Now, nobody addressed that. It just got brought out and left there. Now, I'm kind of, I'm bristling and I'm going, somebody say something. Please, somebody say something. And the Sabbath school teacher didn't do anything with it, and people just go, mm -hmm, and then they went on. Now, if you ask my brother today what Seventh-day Adventists believe, what is he going to tell you? That the devil created dinosaurs, all right? He still thinks that. I mean, I, I can tell him anything that I want, but he heard that where? In church, right? So. It's important to have a, a safe Sabbath school class where people can come and, and not have to worry about those kinds of blessings. Solid preaching is helpful. The desire to hear straight biblical preaching is very high amongst new people. They've often come in off of an evangelistic campaign or of some really dynamic Bible studies. And so when they end up kind of downshifting, and we talked about this yesterday, to the third or fourth string elder who happens to be in church that day and got called late last night to let him know that he's going to have to deliver the sermon and stuff like that, it can be a real downer. So that doesn't mean that you can only have a list, a string, first string preachers preaching. But perhaps there would be room for a preaching workshop in the church to help broaden the base of available preachers. Somebody could be brought in. Give somebody more time to prepare so that they're not having to kind of do something off the cuff. Uh, it's more often than not better to have a live preacher than it is to pop a DVD in. Sometimes that's your best option. But again, when you come to church and it's just a DVD, sometimes people are like, mm, I kind of feel like I got shortchanged a little bit. I'm not saying it's inappropriate and should never be done. But just try to plan ahead. Give people the opportunity to preach who should have the opportunity to preach. There are some people who, bless their hearts, just shouldn't be in the pulpit on a regular basis until they have some time to grow. All right. Sing like you mean it. Um, when you sit through Stand Up for Stand Up for Jesus, 
something's wrong, <laughs> right? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. <laughs> Lord, help them. <laughs> so sing like you mean it. Put some passion in there. I, I couldn't carry a tune if I had a bucket, all right? I realize that, but I'll make a joyful noise. I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll put some effort into it. There's a reason I'm a preacher and not a singer. I recognize where my spiritual gifts are and where they ain't. And so I'm not going to impose myself on people. It's time for the song team to come up. And I'll step back, right? I know my place. But anyway, sing with joy. Choose appropriate songs. Choose songs that people are going to, for the most part, know. Don't, if you're going to choose an obscure song, and there's one or two of them in the hymnal, or more, give your song leader, give your pianist, give your organist, give your whoever's going to be up front participating and helping, give them a long runway. And maybe introduce the song, first of all, as some sort of a special music type of thing before you invite the entire congregation to join in on a song that they have no clue how it goes. Or, or sing the first verse with just the lead and then invite the congregation in on the second verse or something so they have an idea of how it goes. How many of you have sat through a song where nobody knew who, how it went, right? <laughs> That's, it's painful for the members, but I'll tell you who it really bugs is the new people. They're like, these people don't have a clue, right? And in many cases, they're absolutely right. So just choose appropriate songs. Model participation during the worship service. Invite a friend to sit with you. Sing from the heart. Show them the hymnal. Help them turn to the right page. Um, not every song. It's numbered. Hopefully they can you know, figure most of it out. Um, Share your offerings to give to the children. Follow along in your Bible during the service. Help them find the scriptures. One, here's a pet peeve of mine. I, I've got a lot of pet peeves. I've got like a, a zoo worth of peeves. Just a bunch of them. <clears throat> we have in our various churches certain little things that we sing at different points in the service. Okay? Like before we have prayer. Now, dear Lord, as we pray... Take our hearts and minds far away. How many of you know that one? Okay. How many of you don't know that one? So there's a few of you who don't. That's, that's all right. Here's the thing. A lot of times when you sing it every week, the members know that. The guests, all of a sudden, everybody around them, around them erupts into this song. That they're like, where did that come from? And what, what are the words? And they're like, mm -hmm, um, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. You know, that's... That's what you say when you can't remember the words. You just say watermelon. It looks like you're singing the right words, right? <laughs> you're welcome. Yes. 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 Yeah. It catches you off guard. You don't know where to go. You don't know what you're supposed to say. Uh, sometimes there's a whole stand-up, sit-down thing that everybody knows that nobody announces. Everybody just knows they're supposed to stand up, and the guests are like, oh, well, maybe I should stand up too. And so if you have portions of your service that are those mini songs at different times, whether it's for prayer or the offering or, or whatever it is, put it in the hymn, or put it in the bulletin, 
type it in the bulletin and announce it from the front, whoever is going to be announcing the offering. We're now going to collect the offering, and we're going to be singing XYZ. You'll find it on the back page of your bulletin. Oh, okay, thank you. And now people feel comfortable and not sort of out of sorts. Scripture reading, uh, helpful taking up the offering, special music, children's story. These are areas, greetings, maybe not Sabbath school leader. I might again, scratch that one out. Uh, the rest of these, these are areas where new members could be involved in the worship service. Assistant, they could be assistant, can certainly be assistant. Uh, lunch, having a potluck at church is good, usually. Um, here, here's, here's another pet peeve of mine. I've got four minutes left, I think. Many of the dishes we serve at fellowship meals and potlucks are tasty. Many of them look like they're not. Okay, There's a dozen and one ways to make a special K-loaf. Put a sprig of parsley on it. Do, do something. Slice a radish. I don't know. Carve a carrot. Do something to make it look pleasant. Because you... You get people walking down the thing, they're going, I don't want that, I don't want that, I sure don't want that. <laughs> Just make it look pretty, and people will be more likely to try it. Um, God bless us, everyone. Right. Sabbath afternoon activities, you've got all kinds of different things. You can invite people over, you go on a walk, go on a hike. Uh, you can do Bible studies at the park or at home. People want to know, new members want to know, new people want to know, what do you do on Sabbath? You can involve them in witnessing, go door knocking from time to time, an afternoon hike, outreach. Uh, encourage your new friend. Uh, find some things to do that they're going to enjoy. Friday night Vespers is great. You can model bringing in the Sabbath. Uh, what do you do on the, when the Sabbath comes? Uh, you do Bible studies, songs, food, things like that. Uh, pastoral visits are important. The new members are going to really appreciate attention given them by the pastor. Now, again, many, the pastor can't be everywhere. One of the big problems that we've run into in the church in the last several decades is we've put all of the responsibility on the pastor. The pastor needs to visit the sick. The pastor needs to do this. The pastor needs to um, counsel people. The pastor needs to give Bible studies. The pastor needs... The pastor needs to sleep. The pastor needs help. That's what the pastor needs. All right? And, and you've got four churches on top of it. So participation by especially the elders and the rest of the lay members is, is very, very important. Yes? Touchy question. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. If, if the elders want to help the pastor, but the pastor won't let them help. Encourage the elders to ask the pastor to train them. We want to learn how we can be more effective ministers. Can you teach us some things? Put themselves in a, in a teachable position. Teach us, pastor. We want to know. See if that helps. It may not solve everything, but some pastors, and I say this again very gently, very carefully, some pastors are very possessive of the power that they have in the church. Okay. And they are, they are hesitant to release any of the reins of power lest they should lose some. Um, in some cases, I'm not making blanket statements here, but if a person can come to a pastor and say, I want to learn, 
will you teach me? I, w I would like to help in some way help you. What can I do? Most pastors will be open to that, most. Uh, sickness, encouragement, prayer, attending church function functions. Uh, it's great for a pastor to have an open door policy. It's better if the pastor goes out to reach somebody than just say, if you ever need something, my door's open. That makes the person come to them, yes. Back to number three, the 3A. Okay. You and I talked a little bit about it a couple days ago. But anyway, uh, I would have suggested in here that new people when they're coming, well, even before that evangelist series, instruct the members, do not sit together. Deliberately try to sit next to a new person. Yes. And after new people come into the church, when you have that spiritual guardian type arrangement, deliberately, for the, if it's the rotation thing for two weeks, sit next to them, make sure you instruct them how the service goes in those little songs that you're talking yes. about. And then after that 10 weeks or period of time when they've bonded someone, always make sure that don't let a new person sit by themselves, if at all possible, or a family. Absolutely. Deliberately try to be close to them. Very good. Excellent points. Excellent points. All right, pastor investment, uh, what will your ministry be? Help the person find their ministry. How do you plan to share your faith? How can I help you? Friend visits, if somebody misses a Sabbath, if they express loneliness, if they need encouragement, if they're seeking prayer, needing rides, help them out there. Uh, church communication, make sure they're on the phone list, the email list, the mail list, uh, all those lists, we got all kinds of them. Personal communication, you can call them, text them, social media messages, leave positive comments on their Facebook feeds and so forth. Care for people. Help them with repairs around the home. Mow their lawn if need be. Allow them to open up. Be patient with them. Take time to listen. Build relationships during socials, game nights, bonfires, hobby days. Those are great. Excuse me, health expos. You can also help them in their devotional life. You can give them a Bible. Incidentally, over at the ACBC right now, they got a lot of Bibles. Uh, I'm going to plug one, not surprisingly to you, that happens to be the It Is Written Bible. Um, we've got some very nice ones over there. They have a special on the hardcovers now. $9.99 for a nice hardcover Bible that's got some of the Bible studies in the back. Uh, this one happens to be the, the leather copy. If you want to come up here and take a look at it, you're more than welcome to. The interior is the same on all of them. Uh, incidentally, this, this leather moves. It doesn't oink. Some of the leather Bibles oink. This one moves, for those of you who care. So anyway, you can check that out if you would like. You can give them a spirit of prophecy book, audio files, give them a daily devotional book, give them a reading guide, life-changing principles, pray with your friends, share books and sermons on prayer life. Uh, Roku stick is great. There is, we, are, we haven't officially launched it yet, but if you happen to have Roku, I don't have time to really go into what it is, uh, but if you happen to have Roku and you search through the channels on there to choose them, you may may just stumble across one called It Is Written TV, which has all of George Vandeman's sermons on there, John Bradshaw's sermons, and a bunch of other good stuff. Um, you might find something like that out there. DVD sets, Bible study guides. You can get them active in witnessing, help them to be involved in the church's food bank, nursing home ministry, Bible studies, homeless ministries, visiting shut-ins. When we as a church are seeking others, attempting to create a place where people can grow as Christians, where they will find a place they can be a part of, God will send people to that church. All right, in closing for today, we're going to be back again tomorrow.
But if you have not yet filled out one of these nice little cards uh, with your contact information, if you are interested in receiving our free magazine four times a year, please be sure to do that. Tomorrow, I'm going to do something fun. At least, I think it's fun. Maybe you won't. But I'm going to give away one of these Outreach Series Builder oh. kits. But in order to be eligible for it, you have to let me send you a free magazine. So fill out one of these if you haven't already. I'm going to do a drawing for one of these tomorrow. And by the grace of God, you may go home with it. Yes. It is the gold set. It is the gold set. Yes. If, if You can fill one out anyway. If you're already on the mailing list, we'll just see it when it comes through, and we'll go, oh, you're already in there. We'll, we'll, we'll bless your magazine doubly before it comes out. Yeah. No, it's, it, it won't do any harm to, to fill it out. So I've got some of these up here, uh, hopefully enough of them. If you already filled one out, then uh, feel free to do that. Let's, pr let's pray before we, uh, before we end, and then we can uh, visit with whatever's up here and ask any questions. Father, thank you again for the time that you gave us today. We covered a lot of ground. A lot of it was just little stuff, but little things that make a big difference. So we ask that you will help us to find how we can involve new members in the ministry of the church so that they will take an interest and make an investment in it that, uh, that will bear dividends in eternity. Bless us as we seek to be the best ministers that we can. In Jesus' name, amen.